Judges chapter 3. Does anyone need a Bible? All right, looks like everybody has a Bible. Judges in the Old Testament. Chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I'll read verse 1, and then you can join with me on every other verse. Now these, which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Zidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and serve their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and sold them into the hand of Chushan Tatham, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishatam eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who served them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Chushan Rishatam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishatam. We'll read verse 11 together as well. And the land had rest forty years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. May God bless the reading of his word. And um, if you would pray that God would give us strength as we deliver the message. I'm feeling a little bit... Uh, dizzy at the moment, but I think I'll be fine. So just pray for me. I'm, I'm fine, but uh, pray for me if you would. Heavenly Father, I don't know what's going on in my head, but I pray you'd clear that up and that we would be able to speak however you would want us to speak. And um, Lord, we, we believe that there's a message here, uh, someone who really wasn't mentioned much in the Word, but had a great responsibility. And so we just thank you for your goodness, and we yield ourselves to you. Lord, 
We must be emptied of self. And we need your spirit to fill us, speaker and listener alike. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Am I okay to use this one? Okay. I'm speaking primarily this morning with the Lord's help about this man mentioned in the end of our text. Now, it'll take me a little while to get there, uh, maybe not as long as I thought it would, but a man by the name of Othniel. You'll remember I said a couple of weeks ago that I was having a conversation with our grandson in the car. I was on my way down to pick up my dad and mom, and I don't know how in the world we got on the talking about the judges. My grandson is four. Our grandson is four, as most of you know. And of course, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, big Samson and so forth and so on and some of the others. And the first judge out of his mind, who is the first judge, uh, actually, uh, it was Othniel. And I guess maybe that planted a seed in my heart. I don't know. But I uh, began to think about Othniel a little bit more that day. And then, of course, last week we were speaking about the, uh, the uh, uh, when J uh, Joshua was heading uh, uh, off the scene. And uh, we won't re-preach that, but at the end of Joshua chapter, uh, the end of Joshua chapter 24, uh, choose you this day whom you will serve. And I hope that even throughout the week you've meditated on that and maybe you've had that card and you've looked at it. If you didn't get one of those and you'd like one of those, I still have a few extras uh, just as a reminder. Uh, but uh, here we are now, post-Joshua, post-Joshua. And um, unfortunately, the, the nation of Israel um, did not follow the orders from the Lord as they should have. Unfortunately, they did not drive out everyone that they were supposed to drive out. And so God said, okay, uh, because you didn't follow my uh, directive, you didn't follow my uh, command, you're going to have to live with these people now. And you're going to live around them. They're going to be around you. And um, obviously we can see from the text that it didn't fare too well. It didn't fare too well. Now notice what it says here, that he left them there to prove Israel. Notice that word prove. I believe that's a word that we ought to take note of today in our day. It means that he was putting them to the test. Have you ever felt like God is putting you to the test? <laughs> or the quiz, you know? I know that I have had several, and maybe I'm having one, not right now, but maybe I'm having one right now in my life. Maybe you're having one right now in your life, and God does not tempt any man with evil. Praise the Lord. Not tempting you, he's not tempting me to, to do wrong. But I will say that he hasn't stopped trying, he hasn't stopped, not trying, proving his children. We are 2,000 plus years later. We could just say that the Lord is proving, and you could put your name in there. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left. You know, God has surrounded us many times with unbelievers. I'm not saying anything about an unbeliever in a negative way. It's just a, it's just a fact. 
right? We live in a world filled with ites, right? They just aren't Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites, but they're ites. They're not saved. They don't know the Lord. And it's our responsibility not to blend in with them so much that you can't tell the difference between an, an unbeliever and a believer. Well, unfortunately, that's what Israel did. God was proving them. God, in verse number one, he was proving them even as many of Israel as had not known all the ways of Canaan. So this is the next generation. Isn't that something? This is not the, the beginning of the, of the exodus, if you will. This is now the next generation. And um, God allowed it to happen. God allows things, you know, you know, be careful what you ask for. Be careful uh, how we live our lives because many times God will just say, okay, if that's what you want, you got it. We don't really know. We don't really have any idea what that's going to. And, and they didn't have any idea either. And so God says, okay, I'm going to leave them there. And so they were tested. They were be, to be proven how they would live when surrounded by a wicked world. You know, the Bible's timeless, isn't it? Pick it up and it's, it's more current than the newspaper. They still have those. You know, it's more current than the, the uh, digital newspaper or whatever. This is where we are today. We're there today. We have a choice, just like the people of Israel had. We have a choice. Will we remain true to the Word of God, or will we just blend in with everyone else in this world? We'll talk about that. Well, uh, verse number 4 tells us that, again, we find the word prove. Make note of that. Two times in four verses. They were there to prove Israel. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping this comes out right. Lord, please help it to come out right. You know, it's easy to do right when you're surrounded by people like that are here right now. Do we agree with that? It's easy to say yes to God when we're surrounded by believers. But it's at a whole new level when we're out there at school, at work, wherever we are. And it comes to a time where, okay, this is proving time. And many times we don't know when it's coming. It's just all of a sudden, it's right there, right in our face. And we don't have time, we don't have time to go to our knees and have a prayer meeting. We better have already prayed before we left the house that morning we better have already prayed uh, before we went to work that day. We better have already prayed before we went to school that day because all of a sudden we're going to be confronted with approving time. Not to do evil, but it's approving time that we would follow what we know is right. We all have those opportunities. We all have those proving times. And they come again, as I said, I believe they come when we least expect it. And they were to prove Israel by them to know, here it is, 
That word know. Think about it. Do you know yourself? I'm not trying to be weird, okay? I might be dizzy, but I'm not weird. Well, I am weird too. <laughs> Seriously, do you know yourself? Well, you will know yourself in a greater way when you are proven. And I will know myself in a greater way when I am proven. It's one thing, and I, I praise the Lord for amens and church and praise the Lord. I'm not asking for more of that. I'm saying I just thank the Lord for it. But it's one thing to praise the Lord at Anchor Baptist Church on Sunday. It's another thing to obey the Lord on Monday when there's a proving time. And that's what this was. But it wasn't just a proving time for no purpose. It was a proving time, as it says here in verse 4, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandment of the Lord. Wow. How do we really know if we're going to obey God or not? We know when we're proven. As soon as the Lord says, okay, here we go. I'm going to bring some proving into your day, Monday. I'm going to bring some proving into your week. Here it is. That's when we have a chance to know whether or not we really believe the book that we read and hold in our hand and study it all, um, for all of these things. But you know what God wants us to get to? All of that should get us to a place of obedience. Not just reading, studying, meditating for the sake of doing that. Those are all wonderful things. But it should bring us to a place of when the proving comes, we say yes to the Spirit. And then it's not about, great job, Ben. It's, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because had you not helped me, I would have failed. Because everybody here, my hands are up, we have failed. We have failed. We have failed when God has tried to prove. And we're kicking ourselves. If you can, I don't know how people can do that. That's a statement, but it doesn't really make sense. How can you kick yourself? But anyway, and we say, hmm, next time I want to be ready. So, verse number two, just kind of introduction here. Notice, only that the generations of the children, let's stop right there. Honestly, I didn't really know that, you know, I was going to say that about the 20-year-olds today. That just came from the Lord, to God be the glory. But here we have it right here. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might what? Verse 2. What's the word? No. Our children need to know. I can't know for my son. I can't know for my daughter, daughters. I can't know for my grandson and any future grandchildren. I can't know for them. They have to know. Now, they know by our lead. We don't just throw them out, you know, and they're born and say, okay, have at it. No, we nurture them. We love them. We care for them. But we see here that there was a new generation, and this new generation was not battle-tested. 
So it says in verse 2, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them, what's the next word? War. Now, I'm not talking about a fist fighting war. I'm not talking about a machine gun war or a tank war. We read this the other night. Somewhere. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, maybe we've read it many times over recent days. But God was saying, we have, we, I, I, am, I am wanting to prepare these next generation uh, uh, for war, but we're looking at it today in a spiritual, con uh, spiritual context. That we might teach the new generations about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is nothing to push aside because it's, oh, that's not real. I don't think anybody in their right mind would say that because spiritual warfare is real. We may not see it with our eyes, but it's there. And I, and I would say to this, I'm not really, I'm, I am emotional but I'm not I'm wanting to make this about emotions, but we will feel it. We will feel it. Feel it. Spiritual warfare. And so the Bible says here that God was concerned about the next generation who did not understand war. This was obviously in relation to uh, maybe a physical battle that they had to do. But God wanted these young people to learn the lessons of battle that their fathers had known. God wanted them to be strong and know how to fight the enemy when the enemy came around because the enemy uh, is never going to give up. He's a roaring lion. I believe he knows the Bible. He twists it all the time, but he knows it. Unfortunately, the Bible says in verse 4, they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now, unfortunately, they didn't heed the warning. And number one, in the outline, we see the compromise, Israel's compromise. Israel's compromise. There's some very ugly details in this text of this compromise. This compromise can be seen in 2023 as well. Sadly, even amongst the people of God. It was a compromise of the will of God. It was a compromise of the word of God. Obviously, they had direct, the direct word of God through Moses, through Joshua. We have, praise the Lord today, we have the finished word of God. Nothing else needs to be added to it. Nothing, obviously, should be taken away from it. This is the whole counsel of God right here. So if somebody comes to you or you see somebody saying, you know, God gave me a word of knowledge, you might want to just back up a few steps, okay? 
you might want to back up a few steps because if it's not in here, it, ain't, it isn't, excuse me, it isn't from God. And you can use the other bad English word too if you want, but it isn't from God, okay? And uh, that's not the message, but please, we have charlatans all over the internet. God gave me a word of knowledge. If it's not in this book, it didn't come from God. So that means we know who it came from. Let's just not mince the words, okay? That means it came from Satan. And yes, there are people that stand at pulpits that are not, the, uh, they're not from God. Anyway, let's move on. Notice how they compromised. In verse 5, the Bible says, And the children of Israel dwelt among them. Dwelt among them. This word dwelt has the idea of settling down, of setting up housekeeping. It reminds me of a man in uh, Abraham's day, his nephew. Do you remember his nephew? Abraham's nephew. He had three letters in his name. Does anybody remember his name? Lot. Yeah. And the Bible says about Abraham's nephew, trying to go from memory here, that he pitched his tent toward what city? Sodom. Every morning he would get up and he would look toward Sodom. And he would see the sights. He would hear the sights. Next thing you know, if you read that story in your own time this week, you will see that not only was his tent pitched toward Sodom, but eventually you will find Lot sitting at the gate. And it's the idea that Lot was actually in some sort of a position now within the city of Sodom. And that didn't fare too well for Lot and his family because he was, instead of being separate, he was dwelling among them a little too close. Settling down. And that's what we find here. I want to remind myself, I want to remind us this morning that as children of God, if you're saved today, by the way, praise God, you are His child. Think of that. In a world filled with evil, you are the child of God. And nothing can take you from the hand of God. No man can take you from the Father's hand. John chapter 10 tells us that we are secure in the Father's hand, but it doesn't mean that we're, we're immune to the evil around us. It's here. And God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, let's turn over there quickly. Don't lose your place. We'll get to Othniel. Othniel's going to be right at the end, okay? That's just how I think the Lord is leading that way. Uh, 2 Corinthians Thank you for praying for me. I'm feeling a little better. You'll just keep praying that way. God is faithful. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them. Now that sounds a little bit different than uh, settling, doesn't it? They took their daughters to be their wives. I lost my place here. Oh, dwelt among them. Again, looking at what those words mean, they, they were obviously living around them. But Paul said here in verse 17, wherefore come out from among them. In other words, don't get overly settled down, uh, you know, with them. But be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. 
I'll turn over a couple of pages toward the back of the Bible to uh, Titus. Titus, three chapters long, a little book there. Titus chapter 2. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Just stop there. Look what God has done for us. He didn't redeem us from all iniquity to go back and hold hands with the, the world, so to speak. He didn't let Jesus die that brutal death. Right? He didn't let Jesus die that brutal death so that I could just go on and live as if I'm not even saved. He redeemed us from all iniquity. That is a blessing. As a Christian, you will never be judged for your sin. It was judged on the cross. That's... That's one thing that we ought to think about when we start to go the wrong direction. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God loves me. Jesus died for me. What am I thinking? I don't need to go this way. Notice he says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. So we're not just being separate from the world. We're being separate unto someone. Don't miss that. Please. A peculiar people. There's that word, peculiar. Okay? Doesn't mean goofy or weird. Okay? It means that we are a special possession of God. Zealous of good works. That's what God wants us to be in this world. He doesn't want us to settle down and be comfortable, but He wants us to come out from among them and live a peculiar life. One that honors and glorifies God and one that points the lost to the Savior. It got pretty bad, though. This compromise led to intermarriage. Notice in verse 6, and they took their daughter's to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. Notice, and then served their gods. They were so comfortable living amongst all of the ites that they had no problem allowing Billy to go over to Susie's house, the Canaanite, worshiper of Baal, if you will, and all of that, and of course, there was an attraction. I don't need to go into all of that. I'm so thankful God made male and female. And that's all God made. One and two, male and female. Again, not the message for today, but anyway. But sadly, because they got so comfortable, it led to these marriages that God was not for and God is not for today. 
I was listening to a message by Brother Pope this week that was at a youth conference, and it's, I think I ought to send that link and have all of our kids listen to it. It says, keep, the message title is, Keep Thyself Pure. I was challenged by it, and I'm not young. Well, I'm young, but <laughs> I was challenged by it. When we get too close to the world around us, we get entangled with their sins. Here's something to meditate on. The company you keep will determine how close you walk to the Lord. Do you want to walk close to the Lord? It's, a lot of times, it's going to be based on the company you keep. By company, I mean, who do you allow close to you? Okay? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. We have it here, but... In your Bible as well. Be not deceived. Okay? Which I think, you know, for me, when I read this, it's also in Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. We read it here. Be not deceived. You know what it kind of tells me? kind of tells me that maybe a lot of people are deceived with what we're about to read. <laughs> so God said, let me just give you a warning. Don't think you're the exception to the rule. You know, I read this. I think, okay, what do you got? Evil communication can make evil communications, pardon me, corrupt good manners. Translation, the company you keep will determine how close you walk to the Lord. That communications is not necessarily referring to a verbal communication, although that could be part of it. We must interact with the world, yes, so that we can be a light to them and so that we can point them to Christ. Matthew 5, 16, Acts 1, 8. But I don't want to be in bed with them spiritually. And I'm not trying to be crude, okay? I don't want to get too close. Here's another thought came to mind. It is but a short step from walking with the world to living like the world. I would never do that. Don't say that. Because it's only a short step from walking. Psalm 1, read Psalm 1. We, we, we read it every night in RU. Read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. Walk, stand, sit. There's a progression there. It is but a short step from walking with them to living like them. Oh, you want to marry that unsaved girl? Okay. I'm not saying anybody in here would do that. I'm just saying. It's, it's, just, it's a short step. So I guess I should have backed up and said, you want to date that unsaved girl? That's when this, that's when this goes up. Uh. So there was much compromise. 
The Bible says in verse 7, we must, we must move on, that they served Balaam in the groves. This is referring to various gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. Again, we might be quick to say, I'll never do that. But just remember, it's one short step. I encourage you today, if you think maybe that God is speaking to you about this particular theme of this beginning message of a compromise, I would, I would encourage you to pray and seek the Lord on this. I am not the Holy Spirit of God. But if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And we're looking at the Word of God. And if something inside of you is really burning right now about that particular thing, it doesn't matter if you're 12 or 62 or somewhere in between or over or under. It doesn't matter. The point is God is speaking to you. Don't pass it off as saying, I won't go too far. You'll be the one. Satan will say, okay, let's go. Target is on. The Bible says in verse 7 that they forgot the Lord their God. The word forgot there, again, is not a word that we use a whole lot in our, in our language today, but it's a very powerful word which means to ignore. It also goes a little bit deeper, and it says it means to cease to care. Boy, how quickly, how quickly can we go from being, as we say, some people will say, that person is on fire for God. That's, that's not a bad thing to say. That's a good thing to say. Not but how quickly someone can go from being whatever that means. However, whatever you're trying to say when we say that, how quickly, and that's why we always need to be in the book. We need to be on our knees if we can. And I'm saying that, I mean prayer. And we need to be humble. And we need to say, Lord, protect me. As I go, I know approving may come today. And God, I want to be ready. To honor you with the way I'm going to live my life today. If I need to stand for you today, God, I want to stand for you. Yes, compassionately, but I want to stand for you. I don't want to laugh at the joke. I don't want to just give it. What I, I want to stand for you. May we not forget. <laughs> May we not cease to care. May we not allow an indifference to come into our life. And, and you know, that can, happen to, that can happen to the pastor. I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal, but it can happen to anybody. So don't be that one that says, I can rub shoulders and rub shoulders and rub shoulders and it won't affect me. Number two. Not only did we see a compromise, but we see a chastisement. Charles Spurgeon used to say this. He's obviously with the Lord for a long time now. He used to say, God never allows his people to sin successfully. Now the world, they'll sin successfully until the cows come home. Because they're the world. But you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. God's not going to let you sin successfully. Right? I'm thankful for that, by the way. God's not going to let me sin successfully. He's going to punish me. He's going to bring correction into my life. Verse number 8, the Bible says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Ooh, it wasn't just anger, it was hot. 
By the way, notice it says, it doesn't say that God was angry with the Canaanites. Sometimes we got to look at what's not there. When we look at the Bible, what's not there was he wasn't angry with it. Now, the, the Canaanites were the pagans. But you see, God was more concerned about his people not being like the pagans. And I would say today, God is concerned about us in that way too. Of course, God did not condone the sin of the Canaanites. They were lost people. They did not have his law. I mean, you know, I say this with all due respect, but lost people are going to do what lost people do. Because they don't have the spirit of God. But here's the thing. Saved people should not do what lost people do. Hello. That'd be a good time to say, amen. amen. Yeah, that's one that we definitely want to say. Yeah, that's right. Not because I said it, but because it's all over the word of God. Touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing that we read earlier. God does bring this chastisement in my life. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, and be thankful for it, by the way, that he doesn't let me sin successfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. As a Christian, we are no longer under condemnation. Praise God for that. Romans 8, I believe, tells us that. Let's turn over to Romans 8. Verse 1 is a verse you want to mark. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So we cannot be condemned because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Now we came across a very unique name in our text. It even, it even snuck up on me in the Bible reading. I knew it was there, but I, I blame it on dizziness, okay? Uh, that's not an excuse. But look at the handle of that guy. Chushan Rishatain. Letter, or uh, verse 8. Now, you say, what a, what a name. Yeah. Well, here's what his name means. His name means doubly wicked Kushan. Doubly wicked. Like, not just wicked, but doubly. Two times. Another literal interpretation that I read about it is doubly wicked and black. In reference to the blackness of sin. The darkness of sin. They wanted paganism. They wanted their sin. They wanted these false gods. And God said, okay, here you go. Here's your leader. Chushan Rishatang. He's even doubly worse. 
I ask you this morning, are you closer to the Lord today than when you got saved? Or has there been a drift? Let me ask that again. Are you closer to the Lord today than when you got saved? Or has there been a drift? Again, we would say I would never get to this place and maybe they thought that too. Consider, are you reading God's word more? And I'm not saying in quantity necessarily, but are you reading God's word more or more frequently? Maybe that would be a better way. Are you reading God's word more frequently or less frequently today than at another time in your life? You know, dear Christian, uh, growth is vital. And remember, it's not about doing, it's about being first. Don't get the cart before the horse. It doesn't work very well. Am I committed to being in God's will and following God's plan? Or have other things taken God's place in my life? Think about that. By the way, we still have idolatry. We still have idolatry in Christianity today. It's not Baal. It's not Ashtaroth. But it could be prosperity. It could be toys. It could be, I don't know what it could be. It could be wanting to be just accepted by man. And at the, at the expense of pleasing God, we're trying to please men. That's, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. The sad thing, though, is that those things that we believe are so important to us will eventually become the tyrant, the tyrant of our life. God is not a tyrant. God is a shepherd. Satan is a tyrant. He's a dictator. Maybe that's a better word. And those things that are leading our life, even though we're in church this morning, praise the Lord, but many today could be here, but they have things in their life. And again, I'm not saying I'm better than them because I'm here. I'm just saying that there are dictators that they thought were so important, but now they are dictating their life. When the shepherd is saying, I saved you. I bought you. I redeemed you. But they have this dictator that keeps them or pulls them away. We will always find this to be the case. It's not new. It's not new news. We can choose our sin, but we will never be able to choose our consequences. Israel, they chose their sin. God gave them up for eight years. We can choose our sin as well, but we will not choose our consequences. Now, Maybe I didn't give this 
message the right title, but we'll just leave that with the Lord. But praise God for His mercy. Because they said, God help us. And eight years of it, they said, God help us. Notice what it says. Verse 9, and when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. That's where we come to our man of God today, Othniel. We find him to be Israel's champion. Israel's champion. They finally came to themselves. That's the best place to come to. Just like the prodigal son, he came to himself eating that pig pen stuff, right? And they called on the God of heaven. God heard them. He raised up the first judge, Othniel. The Bible calls him a deliverer, verse number 9. A deliverer, that word can also uh, mean savior. Othniel is the nephew of Caleb. Caleb's father was a man named Jephunneh, Numbers 13.6. In fact, he was probably related to Caleb in a couple of different ways because Othniel was also a man of great bravery. Let's turn back to Judges 1. We don't really read a lot about him. Judges chapter 1. In verse 12. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Achish my daughter to wife. <laughs> a lot of romance involved in that verse. <laughs> Conquer this land and you get my daughter. Well, let's ask her about it, right? Anyway, we won't go there. But uh, culture sometimes, right? And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. A man of courage. And he gave him Achish's daughter to wife. So he's also the son-in-law of Caleb as well. Because he had Caleb's daughter as wife. We don't, as I said, we don't read much about him. But we can surmise that he was from this former generation or had ties to this former generation of leaders in Israel. Some say he was approximately 75 years of age. The reason why I use the title of he had one job, I don't mean that he didn't do anything else, but God was preparing Othniel. And yes, if he was 75 years of age, I don't think that really matters necessarily to know exactly what he was. But he was preparing Othniel for his whole life. Even though he's only mentioned a handful of times in the Bible, God was preparing him for something beyond him. God was preparing him for a time when the nation of Israel needed a deliverer. And we can make this application in so many ways. We can make it in a church. You can make it in your home. You can make it in your school. You can make it in your wherever you want to make it. But I believe this to be true, or I wouldn't say it, that I believe God has a plan for your life. 
God has a specific purpose that he is pointing you to. It might not be leading, uh, uh, judging a nation, but it might be being faithful within your home. It's definitely that. But this man, Othniel, was someone who was available. The greatest ability, maybe you've heard it before, is availability. Dependability, maybe you've heard it that way. And so here's someone who's available. But it's not just Othniel. Notice the scripture. Verse 9. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. Even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. But notice verse 10. And, okay, it's not just Othniel. It's Othniel, or maybe we should say it the other way around. It is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, in the Old Testament, this isn't really the time to teach about all of this in detail, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God uh, was not indwelling the believer as he is today. Was the Holy Spirit of God... Uh, a thing, I know it's not, that's not the right way to say it, but yes, God has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity has always been. But the Holy Spirit of God in the, New, in the Old Testament, you can read about it several places. And again, this isn't the message, so I don't want to get distracted by that. But just to let you know that Othniel did not have the Holy Spirit of God living in him like you do today as a Christian. And that changed with Jesus Christ when he came. He said, when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come. The comforter and will dwell with you. And so today, when someone gets saved, we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. But the Holy Spirit of God was obviously there. He, God is omnipresent in all knowing and all of that, omniscient, all powerful. But Othniel was useful to the Lord. Why? Because the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, if I'm holding hands with the, everybody else that is wicked and pagan, is the Spirit of God going to be able to use me as He wants to? Now, the answer to that is a resounding no. Doesn't mean I lose the Spirit of God as a Christian. I never will, praise the Lord. Othniel did not possess the power within himself to deliver Israel. And I do not possess that, and you do not possess that in and of ourselves to live the victorious Christian life. It's all of Christ. Just as salvation is all of Christ, so is sanctification. It's all of Christ. It's 100 Christ and none of me. For salvation, yes, but also for living the Christian life. I can't provide any help in living the Christian life in the flesh. No, but the Holy Spirit of God, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what I need. That's what you need. So Othniel had a companion. Left to myself, I am incapable of living for God. I am incapable of glorifying God, whether therefore you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'm not able to do that if I'm living for self. I'm not able to do that if I'm living for the flesh. I'm not able to do that if I'm living to please others. The Bible said in verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him 
and he judged Israel and went out to war. Now again, this is a military battle. We're, we're looking at a military battle and we're comparing that to our daily battle. The Bible says that he went out to war in verse number 10. And the Lord delivered. Notice that. The Lord delivered. Not Othniel delivered. The Lord delivered. By the way, God wants to deliver the Chushan Rishatames in your life. Even if you can't spell it or say it. Don't worry, I can't either. But you've got one. You might have two. Because as it said, his name meant doubly. With that many letters, consonants, and vowels, it ought to mean something more than just single. <laughs> They're waiting right outside. Seriously. Satan wants to grab anything he can from what God does in your life, every service. He just wants to grab it. He doesn't want it to plant, get planted in your heart and life and my heart and life and start to bring forth fruit because that gives God glory and Satan hates God. And because Satan hates God, he hates you and he hates me. So don't let him take what God gives you in a, in a message. And it's not because of me. Don't let it take what God gives you in your devotions. Don't let Satan take what God gives you tonight if the Lord tarries is coming. Don't let Satan take it from you. God wants to deliver us. We cry out to him. We're no different than Othniel. We're no different than the people in this day. God enabled Othniel to defeat old, doubly wicked and black. God allowed Othniel to deliver Israel from the bondage of this pagan king. And God empowered him to judge the nation. Notice it says there, for the rest of his life, which was for 40 years. That's it. Othniel, the son of Kenes, died. <laughs> you know what? He did his job, and then he died. I mean, it doesn't sound like very exciting. Oh, but I think there's a lot of excitement in between the lines. Just reading, and the land had rest. Let's not think about the land. How about let's think about our life? This is just a little bit of land right here, <laughs> you know, right? I'm made out of dirt. You got a little bit of land right there in your seat today. You want rest in your land? Follow the pattern, not of the beginning of the text. Follow the pattern of the end of the text, which says the people cried unto the Lord. Our help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And my life had rest however many years, and I died. To me, that's exciting. To rest in the Lord. The battle's already been won. 
We have to rest in the Lord. We don't have to fight. He's already fought. He's already fought. We have to rest in him. Othniel. As we come to the close of the message, I ask, are you concerned about where you are spiritually today? I ask, are you concerned about where your family is headed? Are we concerned about some around us? And again, I'm not criticizing them at all because, again, my heart is praying for them who have gone off in search of the things of this world. May we continue to pray in a greater way. May we cry out to God in a greater way. First, making sure that we're not getting too close. But then that we would pray for those nearest to us.